0: Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Sprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic radio. Today we're going to be speaking with Caroline Kamick about the joy of open adoption, but frankly also her faith journey. So, uh, Mari, any thoughts on today's topic?
1: I'm just really excited because I love anytime you see God's will being done in somebody's life and how he weaves together both the desires of their hearts as well as the rest of his great plan. And I think Caroline's story is a beautiful example of that. So a woman of faith walking and has great desires and how God just answered her prayers in very unusual ways. And I think in ways that many people are facing today, you know, there's there's a great um, need for people to be open about what's happening in the world of infertility and what's happening with... Um, just the different options you have um, to continue to grow your family. And I think that there's a lot of confusion, but also a lot of fear around that. And I think, sure. and Caroline's story just brings a lot of hope and joy to that conversation.
0: That's great. When the, uh, the midst of our hope and joy conversation, would you open up, open us up in prayer? Of oh, course,
1: of course. In the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. Heavenly father, we praise you. We praise you as the author of life. We praise you as the giver of hope. We praise you as the one who fulfills us and gives us great joy. You tell us in your word um, that you have come, that we might have life and life abundantly. And Lord, I thank you for the wonderful story we have today, this life journey full of hope, full of abundant joy, and full of abundant life. Um, Lord, we pray for all of those out there who are seeking your will in their lives, who have potentially the, um, the difficulty of infertility, who are feeling desperate and without hope. We just ask that you would enter into their stories in big ways and give them that hope that you, that you desire for them. Um, it's in your precious son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. 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 the
0: Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. John's got some competition. I
2: might <laughs> have
0: to keep you praying. I don't know. Uh, folks, like I said, we've got uh, Caroline Kamek here in the studio. Uh, Caroline's a former teacher who got into decorative painting, and she's a muralist. She's also been married for 27 years and uh, grew up as a cradle Catholic. She's also a speaker here in the Archdiocese. She goes around to different uh, Catholic churches and, and schools talking about her uh, her story of open adoption, but weaves in her faith journey and following God's will, even despite some very challenging odds. So Caroline, we're so blessed to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great.
1: And And as Craig said, we do love to hear people's faith journeys. So would you start us out that way? Would you share a bit about your own faith journey with us and our guests, I mean, our listeners?
3: Yes, I grew up here in Atlanta, um I've been at the same parish for n- almost 57 years that- next month. And um my parish started out very small and very intimate, very f- you know, family oriented. So from the earliest times I remember just loving being Catholic, um loving that type of community where everything you did was together, Mm -hmm. especially when we were young. And it was not as many Catholics in Atlanta at the time. Mm -hmm. And my mother uh, was a very devout Catholic from a huge Catholic family. She has uh, seven brothers and sisters and everyone had many, many kids. I have one aunt that had nine kids. And so I also loved going to reunions and uh, there was always a mass involved in a reunion or their, um, the, the weddings that we would go to were just deeply Catholic. And, and so it was always so important to me. Um, my mother was a a beautiful woman growing up, but everyone really saw a change in her. Once my father died, um, in 78, And she just started to really turn to her faith in Mm. a profound way. And then my brother died two years later. Mm. And so she raised first five kids on her own. And then after my brother died, of course, um, the four of us, and we saw a radical difference in her because she had to turn to her Catholic faith, Mm. Um, the church, the sacraments. Um, to get through it. You know, some people go a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. And my mother went deeper and deeper to the point that people think my mom is a nun. Regularly people think (laughs) my mom is a nun. A nun or a saint, right? Exactly. That she's (laughs) either called Sister Jane or Saint Jane. (laughs) And so um, she brought us with her, you know, to Mm -hmm. everything, um, to daily mass, was very regular activity for us. (laughs) Um, We were raised um, to go to confession regularly. And even though everyone else might have done this it you couldn't help but watch my mother and know that it was the reason she was the way she was mm. and what people saw in her and um and the regular confessions that like i knew she loved confession and it was hard because i was not so saintly as a kid <laughs> or a teenager or you know in my 20s <clears throat> and it was amazing to imagine her going to confession with no sins seemingly, <laughs> and I had plenty to share. <laughs> and so but I always turned to the Catholic faith. Even in college. I I always went on Sundays to the little chapel at West Georgia College, right there in the middle of campus. Um I, I rarely missed. I wasn't the best practicing Catholic, but I turned to it mm-hmm. and um and and clung to it. And so, um, by the time I met my husband, who thankfully was at least baptized Catholic, he his was not uh, catechized and has not received the rest of his sacraments, but it was important to his family and um and so I continued to go to mass with him regularly and um and taught um RCIA, um so up until it was time for us to get married, I really was a a deeply, you know, faith filled Catholic. But I say in my talk that um, my infertility journey's main purpose was to give me this deeper conversion to mm. the faith so that. I walked it maybe similar to what my mother, you know, yeah. walked it. you
1: know, and I think as you t- share your story, I think so many of us can relate, especially those of us who are cradle Catholics, you know, you, I like you grew up in a, an environment where it was just part of our lives, right? It was very much part of our lives. I've said before, I grew up on a Catholic Island and every village had a patron saint. So everything surrounded, um, saints feast days and novenas for people when they passed away and there was just a lot of that that went on around you and so at some point though god will plant it more personally in your heart right and i see you're nodding your head and that sounds like what what happened for you as well you had this beautiful example with your mother and you knew where to turn when things got hard um but sometimes it takes something happening in our own lives to make it even more personal for us yeah
0: yeah i know i like that because um we've talked so much on the show about God's will. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when your mother turns to her faith in the midst of what a lot of people might get mad about my husband, my son, God, you don't love me. God, you don't love me yet. She fell on her knees and got to appreciate the graces that get poured out. And that grace then seemed to flow to the rest of you and your family.
1: Yeah. That's beautifully said. That's beautifully said.
0: What just curiously, because you mentioned something before the show, um, as a part of your faith journey, the rosary in in your family life, but also you had a couple of cousins that were priests
3: yes when um when we got married um the two we have two uh, an aunt in particular has two sons that are cousins. i mean that are priests, and they were um the celebrants for our wedding and um that was profound to see because it did um it did represent everything that I believed in, you know, in that mass, everything that I strived for. But like you just mentioned, you can strive for it, but you don't get there unless you go through some things. <laughs> um, but yes, and then the a, a neat thing that mom used to do with us um, when we were teenagers, we would always say the rosary before we go went out on Saturday nights. And um, I've learned that there's a lot of things that we do, whether we feel like we're saintly or holy or not, people see in us. Mm. And evidently, that's something that a lot of my friends who are Protestants recall Do my mom doing that with us, mm. even though they didn't understand it at the time. And they may not still understand it, but they knew it did something for them, and it was something they were missing in their own homes. Mm-hmm. And despite not having a father, we had a, actually a very dysfunctional childhood when my dad was alive. And even though we had that, it's nothing compared to possibly what other people were experiencing, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So people have turned to us. Through prayer, a lot of times they'll ask me to pray for them, but they really want my mom to pray. <laughs> <laughs> same, same they'll journey. appreciate my prayers, but because yeah, we go straight, mom, we mom's straight to the top, yeah,
0: that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, it's funny too when you tell your story because there's an irony to your infertility and open adoption when you continue to mention, well, my my mother came from a family of seven or eight or nine or whatever. You came from five. Um, Part of your faith journey really has to do with that, your own desire to become a mother. Would you share more about that story, of that desire, and where your faith really entered into that process? Because there was some difficulty in what went on through that whole time.
3: Yeah, I— I, um, first of all, had a really hard time finding my husband, first of all. Um, <laughs> he was lost. Yes, he was <laughs> I was lost, and he was found <laughs> by me. And the very first novena I have ever done, and I've done hundreds since then, was to St. Joseph because I was in a couple of dysfunctional relationships. And everyone else was getting married, and I was about 28 years old and still hadn't found the one. And so I said a novena to St. Joseph, and that's how I met um, Paul. It couldn't have been a week later. Okay, so pause for just a second, because we've got a lot of listeners who aren't
1: Catholic who listen to our show, and so they don't know what a novena is. And why would you talk to St. Joseph about this? Can you describe that a little bit more?
3: Yes, so I've done novenas with Protestant friends, too, and usually just try to do it with the Holy Spirit instead. But St. Joseph is... um, interestingly, the foster father of Jesus, which is an interesting tie to our story as well. But, um, he is, um, the saint of fathers and husbands. And mm-hmm. so a novena is a nine day prayer uh, that you say for nine days straight. It's a lot comes from a Latin word nine. And you, um, ask a particular saint, usually one that has something to do with your particular prayer intention. Um, you ask them to pray for for your intention. You're not you're not praying to them. You're asking them to pray with you, much like you ask anyone to pray with you. And it's um, dates back to a tradition from the early church um, when they waited for the Holy Spirit to come back down um, after Christ's resurrection. And so um, it is a powerful way to pray, and um, it's a prayer it's a a way that you can you know we always pray, and we sometimes halfway trust he's going to answer it mm-hmm. when you do a novena, it's like you're really physically you feel yourself putting it in the in God's hands mm-hmm. and it um usually gives you such conviction or most times that I've done them, gives me great conviction on whatever that answer is and his timing.
1: Mm, his will and his timing for that. Yeah, that's beautiful.
3: So yeah. So once I met Paul, we were um, married two years later. We, I, I couldn't wait. I, <laughs> I just was ready after the first date. <laughs> and um, and so he, he and I, you know, I was 30 by that point and I knew I was kind of pushing it you know, to have children. And I remember the day we walked out of a Thai food restaurant and I said, when we were walking to the car, I think we should be, I think we should go ahead and start trying to have a baby. And he said, I do too. And then he looked at me and he goes, I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's interesting when you think about the fact that we came from this huge family and it always cracks me up when people say, we're going to start trying in December and then we're going to have them in You know the summer. uh, The perfect
2: plan for The perfect
3: plan is hilarious to me, (laughs) because we had a ten year infertility Mm, um, journey, (laughs) and so, and in that moment, how innocent that I'm scared, you know, and how we just thought we were just going to start trying. I don't even know if the word tried came out. You know, we just do. We're going to start having babies, and I always wanted to have a huge family, and so it's interesting that. that this is this is was God's plan to to really take us on a journey of um a real struggle you know being able to to have those children
1: yeah. So listeners, if you are just joining us, you are here in the family room, and we've got a beautiful guest here today with us, Caroline Kamek, and she's speaking about um, the hope of, of uh, open adoption. And at, the, at this point in her story, though, she's, she's at the beginning of that journey where um, the, the, the uh, point of infertility, you just mentioned that you had infertility for 10 years. And there are a lot of people out there who can relate to that, who who have had that difficult journey. So this became part of your story. Like you said, you thought, okay, we're just going to start having children. There was no doubt in your mind you were going to start having children. And um, so we've got a few things we'd love for you to break open in that. First of all, obviously, you know, you and Paul went into this together. Um, so their infertility, as we know, sometimes has has an impact on people's marriages. So if you'll talk about that a little bit. And of course, impact on, on faith as well. um, and then it being a Catholic, that adds a whole nother layer of this because there's some specific teachings around that in the Catholic Church. So could
3: you break open
1: all those pieces and parts right there? Definitely.
3: Um, at the time I was teaching, I was not teaching, I was sponsoring an RCIA, and like most Catholics, we lo- might love being Catholic, but we really didn't understand what our you know, church teaches or Somehow we missed that. So I started really learning a lot about the Catholic faith and we would have someone come in and talk about natural family planning. So before I really realized, you know, we probably had gone a year or whatever, maybe two, I always say the first two years are the most difficult. So I, I definitely think it was already very trying on us, but because I was being so blessed by understanding Catholicism and RCIA through sponsoring and listening to this beautiful natural family planning, um, concept, that was the first thing that we did. And it didn't enable us to be able to get pregnant, but it taught us so much about each other. Mm. It made us communicate so much more. It is beautiful. And it's really, um, It's yet another thing that's so misunderstood Mm. um, in the world. People call it the rhythm method, which was from like 1950, you know, Mm. it's just understanding. And I'm a health. I was a health teacher. So Uh I love that aspect (laughs) of it, you know, and so um, it just it made us we still make jokes about it today the dialogue i mean it was it, it really probably because of the foundation of this being a problem in our marriage it probably did so much more for us you know To yeah, a, an intimacy of those conversations mm-hmm.
0: other people don't have
3: right no one has those at all yeah. you know yeah that's a really good point yeah.
1: you went yeah you're saying like you know
0: no i mean yeah we had the same thing right i mean we got pregnant after two years had a miscarriage and then it was another I guess six years. Wow. No answers, no whatever, whatever. And, you know, you run the path, and I'm sure Caroline's going to dive into it. You run the path of, well, do this injection or do this in vitro, do all these things. Of course, when you drill down in the church, it's like, that's not how we trust God mm. with our lives. It's not my decision just because I simply say, I deserve a child. I'm going to go do something else. So why don't you keep going?
3: Yeah, definitely. And, you are you become very discerning i was looking back in my journals to prepare for this particular um show today and what i found was even though i talked a lot about the baby in my journal you can tell what I was doing was what God does anytime he allows you to go through something. And what, and the purpose of him to allow you to go through suffering and allow you to go through these trials is to deepen your faith. Mm. And that's what I'm doing through the, my all I read on the journal is all about me focusing on myself and where I needed to grow and where I needed to turn to scripture. And that's what that whole journey was about. Um, I can't speak for Paul. Who knows what all he was doing in that brain of his? But, <laughs> but you say with a cute smile. <laughs> even though she knows how men think. Yes. Even Pretty. though what's beautiful about Paul is he was not catechized, only baptized Catholic. Every single step of the journey, he was right in step. And he's not somebody to just do what I say. (laughs) He's got quite a mind of his own. But he it was such an example of how God is the head of the family and then the husband and then the wife. And that's not a it's not a submissive word in the it's a submissiveness to God in that alignment. And I saw it firsthand. And um, as I began to learn all the things that the church taught and taught against with fertility, I couldn't believe how much he was in complete agreement mm. to it. Um, insemination was probably the next step of what we looked at. And I didn't have anyone to talk to. Mm. Um, it was a very lonely you know, place to be because you get the, this is again, what I love about the quest because you get to hear easily and, how God will just place that particular subject on the air for you to hear. And that's one of the only resources that people will have. I was fortunate enough because I wasn't getting any answers in my church, even with the deacon um, at my church at the time. So I knew of a um, gynecologist that um, very much did did her practice around Catholic teaching. Mm. And I couldn't see her because she didn't have an opening to actually see her as a um, patient, but she would let me call her for consultations wow. Oh, wow. regularly. That's and I would, more rare, yeah. Right? And I was just terrified, you know, of the decisions because I so didn't want to go against God's will. Mm. And I began to learn through this, that the teachings of the church are to align your life with God's will. That's their purpose. They're not rules to control you. Nobody's going to even know if, what you're doing. It's not like they've got somebody you gotta check in with, you know. <laughs> yeah. The way people look at it. And so that's what I learned through it was praying for God's will, was learning how the teachings guided you towards this perfect plan that he had and perfect timing, which I will share eventually as my story unfolds. It all makes complete sense. And it usually does. <laughs> um when you look back. But um when when I came to my husband about insemination, I was absolutely shaking to bring it up to him because I was scared to death that he was um, he would be like, yes, because he so wanted to have his, he
0: wanted
3: wanted to have a biological child, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time. And so he thought that was the most messed up thing. And I, I just remember the massive relief and, and how beautiful and holy that moment was for him to say, um, no, that's not how that's messed up. We would not ever do that outside of, sexual intercourse which Mm -hmm. is what natural law and that's what the teachings are uh, you know centered around is natural law that's basically it you know that you god created man and wife to be to procreate you know naturally and so then we moved um that same gynecologist um suggested clomid which is has a it's like a 70 to 80 percent effect on those that are having problems with ovulation. Mm -hmm. They have great success with people being pregnant from Clomid as well. It was not um, for me. And so the last thing we did that by that point, I was just doing whatever the church allowed and what I felt like I was meeting my husband's desires. And I did fertility shots. Couldn't stand it. Um, Probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done. Mm. Because all you can think about is God is the creator of life. Mm. I think he knows how to do this. Mm -hmm. But I I knew God was going to honor me doing that, you know, for the sake of our marriage. I remember sitting in that, you know, waiting in those doctor's visits. And I can remember thinking, this is such big business. I mean, it just was very convicting to me. This is such big business. Half these people could have done this on their own. They just, you know, back 50 years ago, 30 years ago, no one talked about their infertility. Mm. And who knows how many people went five, 10 years without, because no one talked about it like that. And now we talk about it so much, which is good, but it makes you feel like if you're not having a child in two years, something's wrong. And you just immediately, you know, that's Mm. the way we are as a society.
1: We take it into our own hands and strive to fix
3: it our way. Like that's it's a big yeah.
0: part of what I'm hearing here is God's God. We are not. But yet we continue right minded saying, well, of course, having children is a beautiful thing. It's awesome. God would always want me to have children. You know, the narrative of what the world would tell you, which there's truth to a point. Mm-hmm. But God may be like, no, that's not my plan for you because I'm trying to do something else.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's what those <clears throat> teachings are allowing you to do is to discern and listen, he talks to us, you know, when we're quiet, it, it makes you centered so that you can be discerning of what that reason is mm-hmm. instead of the anxiety of control, you yeah. know, that we um, don't have control. That's a great right. way to
1: say that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot in there and appreciate your um, vulnerability as uh, you get choked up over that because I mean, it, yes. it just shows how much you love our Lord. And that it meant something much more deeply than your own desires. So I really do appreciate that. Yeah, you know, we're we're coming close to getting into the break here. So if we need to, after the break, finish addressing this, we can. But obviously we said the 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 show, a lot of this is on open adoption. Uh, a lot of people think they know what adoption is. They may hear about open adoption and they might get afraid because of what they think it means or doesn't mean. But for those of us like myself that are more ignorant on it, would you explain really what an open adoption is?
3: Yeah, if I could give a little lead up into that, because um, we finally got to a point where we realized, I I did conceive one time, I must say. I was pregnant for eight days, Mm. and we named the baby Hope. Don't know if it was a boy or girl, but Uh it gave us massive hope and belief that we would become um, parents. And I say that, We had no idea how creatively God would do just that. Um, By the time we were open to actually adoption, we were just going to go through, um, you know, any agency, never even thought about Catholic charities for some reason, as Catholic as I was, but um, and had become. But um, we just were looking at any adoption agency and, and Paul wasn't really on board for adoption and uh, immediately it took um, somebody else bringing it up and then he was open to it. So we were just going to go just kind of learn mm-hmm. about it and just kind of ease into it and just, again, f- see what God had in store for us. And so um, a friend of ours said that her friend adopted through Catholic Charities and had an open adoption. And so we um, she said, I'd love for you to go to their house. So we went to these people's house didn't even know who they were. And we sat in their living room and let them tell us what open adoption was. And it convicted us immediately because it was so incredibly beautiful. Oh, well, we, you've got us on the edge of our yeah, seats no, now. Yeah, we need to hear more <laughs> about perfect. the rest of this.
1: Yeah, so listeners, stay tuned. And right after the break, we'll hear more of Caroline's story.
3: We'll be right
0: back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Sprite on The Quest.
2: St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com.
0: We're back in the family room, sponsored by Verse Bright, right here on AM 1160, The Quest. We're talking to Caroline Kamick about open adoption, God's will, how all these things fit together. Before the break... You know, we were kind of on the edge of our seats. So we're going to discuss that again, Caroline. But before we do, we talk about family room memories, you growing up or, you know, with your current family, whatever. What would you like to share with us on that before you dive back into your story?
3: Well, as I mentioned, just the memory of us sitting around saying the rosary before we went out on a Saturday night. But I also have a deep, fond memory of my mom had a priest say the mass in our living room before. And we had a tiny little house and it, but it's kind of got that long living room. And so it was, it was really a neat setup for that. Seeing that altar at the end of our living room, anytime we got to do that, which obviously is you have to have special dispensation to do that. And I can't remember how she was able to, or why we were able to do that. She was a (laughs) saint. She (laughs) just asked God (laughs) if it happened. But yeah, that, that was you know, a beautiful thing to have and it that stays is. with you.
0: Now that is beautiful.
3: That is gorgeous. Yeah.
0: So would you keep going at what open adoption is? Because you mentioned how you and your husband went to somebody's house, heard about it. And I think you ended with "and We were convicted. Mm. So you didn't go to jail, obviously. So what were you convicted <laughs> of?
3: Convicted? Yeah. That this was perfect for us. I'm obviously a very open person. And your best relationships are open communication and what open adoption has been around for a while, but you can tell it still is something that people is still a foreign concept for people. Typically, what it means is you have a normal uh, adoption, just as it is legal as a closed adoption, but you have some kind of relationship and some kind of communication with whoever's still involved. It could just be a birth grandmother, the birth mother birth father and birth mother, and you might meet once a year at a neutral location, depending on how healthy everyone is that's involved. You would just send them texts or emails and pictures at, you know, whenever you felt um, the desire. And there is what's called a negotiation that the adoptive parents write up to give you guidelines, you know, to, to keep good boundaries. And they pretty much decided to start doing this type of thing because they were listening to all the parties involved, the, the children, the birth parents, the adoptive parents. They all needed this mm-hmm. um, because it did allow you know, for a very healthy dialogue, if at all possible, and so that those questions can be answered whenever that child may have it. So that's the typical way an open adoption is done. Our story is not typical.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like there's a lot of flexibility in that
3: then. I know of people who are looking into open adoption
1: and they're a little fearful because they don't know what this could mean, but it sounds like they can choose how often a contact is and who the contact's with and what that might look like. Yeah.
0: Do you catch that?
1: Yes, I was just not gonna, typical. I was just going to say that's what I was about to just hone in on is um you have a beautiful story that yours was not typical. So take us through your story, because I think it once again, we keep talking about hope and God's will. I think your story is just so beautiful in um, highlighting that in so many ways.
3: Well, I, I could always hear God telling me deep, deep down, Caroline, just wait. I have a plan perfect for you Mm. and the 10 years just make complete sense now as I say in my talks it took 10 years for two kids to grow up get through middle school get through high school to move entirely too fast in their relationship they had um, only been together loosely together one month Mm. um, to conceive our child David Paul Kamick. from the beginning of us being together the minute we met them I just had a bond with them and, and they felt it with us too. And we wonder if it was because we were both coaches and teachers and mentors, and maybe that had something to do with it. In the end, we know it's just divine intervention. This is how, what God's plan was all along and why he went through the journey that he went with us or took us through. From the time he was born in the hospital, they asked us to come see him when he was born. Two days later, when we had placement, they asked to see us before they left the hospital. Mm. Very unusual request. It's the hardest day of their entire life. And they asked us to see them. I needed that. Mm. And I'm sure Paul did, but I really needed to know they were okay. I immediately... Cared about them like family. Mm. There's no real explanation to that other than this was how God was working through it. Because you started to build a
1: relationship with them even before
3: they had the baby, right? Yeah, one of the things that I began to do is just not hold back whatever I felt naturally w- I wanted to do. I felt like I wanted to share what the room was going to look like. I painted a mural in his mm. room. And she was an artist. And so I wanted to show her that. Mm. And I didn't let myself talk myself out of that. I yeah. just I just shared. And naturally, that's how everything has been guided for us, is whatever we feel like we naturally want to do within good boundaries, that's what we do. Even 16 years later, our son is now 16. We still do that. We're, we're still very discerning about what we say, but yet we don't hold back what a family would naturally want to do. She met wanted to meet me out when she was pregnant with him to um, give me some pictures of the ultrasound and just to talk you know and we just shared sounds like you adopted
0: two other kids
3: yeah i we we totally adopted two families (laughs)
0: that sounds like it that's awesome
3: (laughs) that is
1: amazing that is amazing and as far as open adoption so i know that you've shared this before and other people have talked about it but you give them a book and that's how they choose They look through different books of different people who've put their books together, and that's how they choose you. So they actually felt like they were choosing you. So they choose you, you
0: too.
3: Yeah, and that that was one of the cool things when we met with that couple. When they told us that, you could just see how God uses something in that book to draw them to you. Some of the adoption agencies we would go to, it just felt like they were like, we're going to get you a baby and you know, three months. Mm. And I didn't want just a baby. I wanted the one that God chose us to have, Yeah. period. And so she said the reason that she was drawn to our book, that they were drawn to our book, is because I I wrote so personal about each picture. And I say what's so funny about that is I was trying not to talk too much. I was trying (laughs) not to be too Caroline and, you know, scare the heck out of her. And so I think because I'm naturally like that, it was enough where it was so personal to her um, that that's how she picked us.
0: And Just real quick, the couple. And maybe this is my curiosity getting me in trouble again. But these were what I would call two normal mm. high school students, both decent in school, both wanted a future beyond, you know. Mm. How would you describe the, the couple themselves?
3: They were actually in college. They were just that, and that's usually a really good Example of when open adoption works as well as it does is because they were from such good, stable homes. They had very strong families. In fact, her family wanted to raise our son, and Mm. she said no. She had done so much research on open adoption. They provide wonderful counseling through Catholic Charities, but she even took a step further and went through another psychologist that had placed two babies for adoption, and she did some counseling for people, too, because she had no counseling for herself when she placed her babies. And so she had complete conviction and open adoption. So she's extremely smart.
1: <laughs> mm. She's
3: got a degree now at um, Denver Law School. So she graduated from UGA when David was a year old. And then she went to Denver Law School. And his birth father's also very, very intelligent people and uh, very successful now. Her parents have told us that not just David, but that Paul and I are the reasons they're where they're at today. They ended up getting married when David was about three years old. Mm -hmm. And we had become such close family with them that they asked us to be in their wedding. David was the ring bearer. And I read in their wedding and I say I didn't really read in their wedding. I cried through the entire reading. Yeah, she was raised Catholic, decided to go through the Catholic Church, thankfully, to get married we flew out to Denver yeah he was the ring bearer so he they watched her (laughs) their son bring that I always say that they'll never be his parents they'll always be his birth parents but he will always be their son yes and for them to see him walk up that aisle I cried through the entire reading but it really worked out great because it was a toast and It's a toast that you can't give. We've tried to thank them so many times they ask us not to thank them anymore. (laughs) But that was probably my biggest thanks was was trying to articulate that reading during that mass. So so it's
0: interesting. So obviously people at the wedding had to know who this little boy Mm -hmm. was. So there was doesn't sound like there was this deep shame in, oh, my gosh, we made this huge mistake and we're going to bury it. It was like they embraced it. Mm and I'm almost embrace it with God saying, look it, something happened, but something good came out of
3: it. That's probably one of the, uh, one of the most beautiful things about open adoption is that's what you're doing. They say the difference between what a, pers- a woman or a man look like when they describe their placing their child for adoption compared to abortion. First of all, there's no comparison, but the joy that they get to express. Um, and it's so affirming to them to constantly see how well he's doing, but at that wedding, um, his his birth father's best man came up and said i can't believe that there's no jealousy Hmm. it's beautiful to see no jealousy and david's birth father and i looked at each other and went jealousy i never thought about (laughs) never thought about us being jealous (laughs) and i still don't think about it you know and in fact i love seeing what he is like with them i love seeing them in him and I love seeing them share stuff with him. I mean it's it's the healthiest thing ever. It would be really dysfunctional of me, you know, not to. Especially as far as God has brought us through this, you know, to now suddenly get worried about them. I mean, I'm sure he what kid doesn't think other people are cooler than their parents, you know?
1: <laughs> well, you know, as I'm listening to you, one of the things I've reminded so deeply of is how God loves each and every one of us. So God loves David's birth parents, as much as he loves you and Paul, as he writes this story between all of you, he is healing their hearts. You know, Craig, like you said, there's not shame. There's not condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's no condemnation in their story. There's only love and there's hope. And to have him, I got holy goosebumps when Mm -hmm. you were talking about, I was envisioning this little three-year-old toddling up with the ring, that symbol of that eternal Life, that nonstop unity that they have as a couple and then their their relationship with God and how David was the one who brought them together mm-hmm. ultimately, right? Yeah. And just can you imagine if they had not chosen life, what uh, would have happened yeah. and how terrible I'm gonna cry. <laughs> oh, gosh! Now, between you two, can going gonna make Oh eggs. my gosh! But I'm just thinking about the people yeah. <laughs> in college who are making those same. Who's mm-hmm. you know who, making who also... the
0: opposite doses. Yeah,
1: and how how beautiful this is, and like you said, then you can see them in David, and you can see and you can learn so much. And you know, one of the things that I know this is so beautiful is that instead of being narrow, instead of life becoming very narrow and just about you. And about Paul, your life became even so much bigger. Not only, like you said, you adopted David, but you adopted two, two other family. families. Yeah. So yeah. Your, your life grew in other ways. So listeners, if you are just tuning in, you are hearing this amazing, remarkable story by Caroline Kamick. Um, yeah. You know,
3: the, no,
0: the other point of hope, because we always talk about hope in the family room. Listeners, you're probably gonna get this after Easter, but we are recording this during Holy Week. But God's Christ-redemptive love. Mm -hmm. Even when, quote unquote, you know, there was a sinful act, and this is not a condemning comment, we can commit sins that God can redeem Mm -hmm. and bring good out of. Mm -hmm. If we just kind of journey together with people of faith and stay true to it and not Mm -hmm. commit another sin by by doing in vitro, by having an abortion, the blessings that God brought out of this, I mean, you're like, How do you not have hope for the rest of our lives Mm -hmm. that if God can do this, what else is he willing to do?
3: It's funny how people have heard my talk. And even though it's about infertility and open adoption, they're able to apply it to exactly what you're saying. I have so many examples that we probably won't even have time for the things that have come out of this birth of his of David's and how that's the story, you know, is that he can he will he's got so much things that he will continue to bring out that are beautiful and she's even said and it can be taken the wrong way but if you if you hear from her heart that she did she didn't lose anything by placing David for adoption she actually they gained so much more mm-hmm. of a beautiful life because of his adoption and the stories that continue on you know on and on between us and you as having a, a larger family, I know that there were things that were woven
1: into that story as well and why it was so important that you knew the larger family that David came from. You mm-hmm. talked about another uh, trial that you guys had to start walking through when David was about six years old.
3: Yes. when um, One of the, the neat things about... Um, open adoption is. And one of the necessary things is you need to know, I mean, how many times you go to the doctor and they ask your history. Mm. And I don't know how people do it. They don't know the history of their adopted child. And I jokingly say a lot of times to the doctor, I can text 10 people right now if you want me to for that particular (laughs) question. But David became a type one diabetic um, when he was six years old. And, you know, when you when you pray for a child, and you have this healthy child that's born and you think that you're in control of all this. It's just by by discerning the walk and, and deepening your faith and going through what you go through through these particular <clears throat> trials, it prepares you for things that come later. Mm. And that was one of the most devastating things ever to our marriage and to our family, was finding out that David was a diabetic. First of all, nobody understands diabetes until you experience it. You can't get your head around it Mm -hmm. until you actually live it with the person. And we don't even know, you know, because we're not the ones that have the disease. But um, he became a diabetic and both of their, um, both of them have first cousins that are diabetics. And um, I couldn't hardly function for about eight months. I was absolutely overwhelmed it's extremely complicated anyways and um, good thing you were a health teacher right once again even that i mean because it's your child you know and you don't want him to hurt he was a baby you know pretty much yeah and um and i shared the last time i was on the show that the very person that helped me through this said don't choke up again Mm -hmm. is his um his birth aunt that has a son that's a type one diabetic and she's a family doctor. Oh, wow. (laughs) And she, she said she couldn't even get out of the bed. Mm. You know, she was so devastated. And she just shared with me just vital, uh, perspective, um, that I was going to care about other people again. And I was going to care about, you know, uh, I was going to believe again and, you know, just all the things. I mean, I had a hard time trusting God for a very long time because it's so on you when Mm. you're uh, the parent of a diabetic. And, um, and keeping up with the supplies and the insurance and everything else, and um, gosh, just and to to have gone through what I had gone through, you know, for the through the infertility journey and de- develop this beautiful relationship and this open adoption, and then I get hit with not trusting God. He's just always raising the bar, you know, <laughs> to deepen your faith. Um, he he wants me to be like Saint Jane, just with a lot, just a, with a lot bigger mouth, <laughs> and uh, not quite the same disposition as she has.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and again, sorry for going off on my tangents, but, you know, as you started your story, I think if I was a listener out there, I'd be like, well, I can't listen to Caroline because she's a saint, even though she had struggles with her family. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I think it's good to hear that people of faith sometimes, I don't always use the word, doubt God, but question, you know, where are you? Why are you? Why Mm -hmm. why have you... (laughs) Lord, Lord, why have you abandoned me? It's like, you know, again going through it with my daughter. You look and you go, well, if you really loved us, God, you wouldn't let this happen. Mm-hmm. God lets you sit in it, though, and finally, like you said, He keeps knocking at your heart to go, all right, you got something better, you got something bigger, and it is. It's always right. God never lowers the standard, mm-hmm. right? This is not the lowest common denominator. Jump over it. It's easy. God's like, no, I need to stretch you. I need you to grow. And then I appreciate you sharing that part of it. Because I think when we have these shows, it's easy for a listener who is challenging their faith at the moment to go, well, they're much holier than I am or whatever. And it's not a reminder. We are all real people on the same journey every single day. Some days it's sunny. Sunny. Some days it's rainy and some days it's an earthquake.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And so as you've shared your story as Craig just said, you know, there're probably people saying, "Oh my gosh, I don't know how you did that," or I'm going through something similar and, you know, we're we're living what Craig just described. What have been some examples of women who've maybe found hope in the story of you as you've shared it because God did use your mouth yes. to to
3: great purpose, right? Yes, and does. had you share your story. <laughs> So, um, one incredible example that I can think of is, um, I'm, I'm in charge of my class reunions, um, where I graduated from and I was calling everybody for one particular reunion and a guy that I graduated with, um, was having trouble having children. Mm. And he said, his wife was not open to adoption at all. And so I shared our story and, um, that, reunion my husband went out in the middle of that dance floor and was talking to his wife i think she approached him he's not the type to go up and you know do that he's from maine (laughs) very reserved people and um and he um they ended up adopting because of our story and did open adoption because it's hard to share open adoption and keep it you know uh, down to the bare minimum, when we have what we have. Mm-hmm. But I always say, it. You, you don't necessarily have to have what we have. But don't discount that God could want that for you, yeah. because it's awesome if that's what he's calling you to do. And so um, they now, he's my age, and he, they ended up adopting two more. And I'm not sure if those two are open adoption. I know, um, his first is, and he adopted just a couple of years ago. And so he was You know probably 53 you know Mm. at the time so he was open to three already and then my last talk my very first time i did my talk at a women's retreat a woman came up to me david now has two birth that's another bonus to um, have an open adoption now i can't have kids we weren't able to adopt again and david now has two birth siblings Mm. a sister and a brother and um, that whole story is beautiful in itself and he loves them. He can't wait to drive, you know, his own car and go visit them because <laughs> they're only an hour away. And he's made it very clear that he'll be going there a lot. And, um, and a lady came up to me and said that she has an open adoption with her son's birth mother. But she found out that he had a baby brother that is autistic. And I think he was maybe a year old. And she had not told her son. Because of the fact that maybe he was autistic, or I don't know what why she was refraining, but my hearing my story um, gave her the strength and the courage to let her son know that he has a brother and that they're gonna um, that they'll meet him, and there are so many other things that have happened just in our immediate, fa- they, I call them our immediate family, his immediate family. And that's, um, his birth grandparents could never be in the same room before they met. They, uh, you know, before David was born, they had been divorced for 15 years. And I was just talking to his birth grandfather last night and, um, he's about to take his, you know, his ex-wife, um, to have a surgery and want, you know, take care of her. And now they've, they're friends and they, they say it's because of David's birth that he brought more love into the world.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Wow. Well, now, thank you for sharing that again. I mean, yeah. what, a, what a blessing you to have you on the show. Uh, as we wind this down, Caroline, what words of hope would you offer to those couples struggling with infertility and maybe struggling in their faith?
3: Um, I would say what I can tell looking back um, is what I constantly did and what I constantly do as a mother is just to constantly lay it in the father's hands over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a long time of doing that over and over again because he does need to wait those 10 years like he had to with us specifically. And and asking for Mary's prayers, I don't think we realize how much Mary is desires and is her purpose is to be in our lives, um just as she was for her own son. Um he gave us his mother, you know, at the cross. Um and it wasn't just to give to the disciples at that time. It was for all of us. That was his, her purpose and um, his purpose in giving her to us and to always asking for her prayers and, and let her fiat be your fiat mm-hmm. um, so that you're willing to surrender that control um, that is not true control and, um, and let her pray for you and be, you know, a guiding light for you because all she wants to do is point you to to Jesus and his will. And then like I said that will prepare you for everything else that comes your way as a mm-hmm. as a mother. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Caroline, we have appreciated
1: so much your time with us today and your willingness to be so vulnerable, um so humble and um also so full of hope and joy and I hope that our listeners could hear that in your voice. I know they could and that they will find strength and hope and joy in that as well. Would you bless us all by praying for sure, us as we I'd close? Love
3: to. In the, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for all the blessings that you give us and all the trials that you take us through because they are only to deepen our faith and love and desire for your will and your plans in our lives. And I pray for all these listeners that they will be blessed with the intimacy of knowing that you're near and that you have never left them and that you will answer them in your perfect time, and that you will bless us all this holy Easter. In your name I pray, amen. 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 Amen.
1: Caroline, thank you so much. Listeners, thank you for joining us today, and please be with us again here in the Family Room next week where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families.
0: Thanks for hanging out with us in The Family Room,
2: sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.